Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's episode is a little different in that we won't be going into the details of a particular job per se, which is what we typically do in most of our episodes. What we will be talking about is an approach that you can take not just towards your career, but even towards your life. And I sincerely hope that today's episode will inspire you to think a little introspect a little and think about where you would like to be in the long term in your life. So we have a very special guest on our show today. His name is Jim McCarthy. And Jim, in a lot of ways, is the Silicon Valley exec, the successful Silicon Valley exec that has given Silicon Valley the name that it has today. He was employee number 258 at Yahoo. He has worked at a number of startups, many of which have been acquired or raised millions of dollars. He has an MBA from Stanford. So he really epitomizes the success that Silicon Valley is known for. What is also true about Jim is that he was diagnosed with cancer some time back. And that diagnosis really forced Jim to take a step back and think about if he wanted to do things a little differently. So I'm going to now let Jim share his story. What you'll find in today's episode is that the first 10 minutes or so are basically Jim sharing a talk that he often gives to students and working professionals. And then we get into a discussion. So um, I hope you enjoy today's discussion. I hope you find it helpful. And without further ado, now I'm going to welcome Jim. Hi, my name is Jim McCarthy. At 12.40 p.m. on Tuesday, February 5th, 2013, my doctor calls me up and tells me I have cancer. I'll say that again. At 12.40 p.m. on Tuesday, February 5th, about three and a half years ago, my doctor calls me up and tells me I have cancer. I'm sitting in my shiny blue BMW convertible. I'm in a strip mall parking lot in Mountain View, California, in the heart of Silicon Valley. And I hear this voice on the other end of my iPhone talking to me about radiation, surgery, survival rates. I go home and I cry for a couple of hours because this is the first time in my life I've ever felt my own mortality. I mean, we all know we're going to die on some sort of an intellectual level. But this was the first time on a visceral level that I really realized that my skin someday would be just as cold as this desk where I'm standing. Now, after going home and crying for a couple of hours, I call my mom, I call my dad, call my brother Mike, my sister Kathy, my brother Dan. They're all really shocked. Then after that, I drink almost an entire bottle of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay wine. And uh, the wine snobs that I know, the friends of mine, they say, Jim, you should have been drinking something better than KJ, but that's really all I had in the house, and I'm, I'm just not that picky. Now, after drinking almost an entire bottle of wine, I do what I almost always do in times of crisis in my life, and I start writing in my diary. 
and out of me come pouring forth all these questions I have about my life, my career, my legacy, my regrets, my time in Silicon Valley. Now, there's never a good time to get a cancer diagnosis, but this seemed to be an especially bad time. You see, most people would say, I've had a very fortunate life. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I studied political science at the University of Iowa. I have a chance to study in Austria and in Germany. I work as an English teacher in Frankfurt for a couple of years. I work as a business journalist in Madrid for a couple of years. And then in 1991, I come to the Bay Area. I do sales for a few years, and then I'm lucky enough to get into Stanford for business school. And then after that, I'm lucky enough to get hired as employee number 258 at Yahoo in 1997. And that was an amazing time to be at Yahoo. I was very fortunate to be part of the first dot-com boom. Now, after that, I got married. I had a daughter. I was a stay-at-home dad for a year, had another daughter, and then worked at other internet companies that tended to do pretty well also. So I think it's fair to say that I am an ambitious, motivated Silicon Valley guy. Now, about four years ago, I left the startup that I was at so I would do leadership consulting, so how to build high-performance teams, how to hire great people, how to set them up for success. And I was really excited about playing to my strengths as I entered this new phase of my career. And just when I started doing that, I get my cancer diagnosis. Now, about a week after getting a call from my doctor, I go to Kaiser Permanente's Cancer Treatment Center in Santa Clara, also in Silicon Valley. And you see, I'm actually very fortunate because I have very early stage prostate cancer. And as many people know, prostate cancer is a very common disease for a lot of men. On the other hand, about 30,000 men die per year from prostate cancer. In my case, we caught it very early on, so early on, in fact, that we decided not to do any radiation yet, not to do any surgery yet, because both of those things can have some pretty negative side effects. And we're doing... Uh, active surveillance, and so far it seems to be going well. Now you could say, okay, hang on a second, Jim. You've got this common form of cancer. You haven't even treated it yet. Why all the drama? Why all the talk about life and death? Well, about two weeks after I got my diagnosis, I got together with a friend of mine named Diane, and she and I used to work at Yahoo in the late 90s. She used to be the head of PR at Yahoo, a very successful, accomplished woman, very nice woman. And I had seen that she also has cancer. So I get together with Diane in Los Gatos. And we're having lunch in an Italian restaurant. And I say, Diane, I don't even feel like I'm in the same league with you. I have this very early stage form of cancer. You've got lung cancer, which is spread to the walls of your chest. You've had a lot of chemotherapy. You've lost all of your hair. And you have a very, very serious situation. And Diane looked at me and she said, Jim, it doesn't matter whether you have two months to live or 20 years to live. When you get a cancer diagnosis, it changes your life. But when I go to my son's lacrosse games and I see the blue in the sky and I see the green on the leaves and I hear the laughter of the boys running on the field, I just have tears coming down my face from just the pure, simple, intense beauty of that moment. And I wish we all could live as if we had cancer. Now, just to be clear about this, when Diane says, I wish we all could live as if we had cancer, certainly she doesn't wish on any of us the heartbreak of having cancer, the pain from having cancer, the loss from having cancer. But what she wishes is that each of us could live so richly, so deeply, so intensely, right here and right now, 
not hung up on something that happened a week ago that we can't change and not freaked out about something that might or might not happen tomorrow that doesn't even exist yet, but just living deeply and richly and intensely right here. And Diane was doing two things which are very important for happiness. One was she was practicing mindfulness and the other she was practicing gratitude. And we can learn a lot from Diane's example in this respect. Now, I'm happy to say that Diane is still alive. As for me, after I got my diagnosis, I made quite a few changes to my life. So for one thing, I'd always wanted to live in San Francisco, and I'd been living on the peninsula down in Silicon Valley. And and so I I moved up to San Francisco, and I'm really happy I made that change. Soon after that, I met a wonderful woman named Stacy, and she and I have been dating for three and a half years, and we're engaged to get married next year. So that's great news. I have really started focusing much more on family, friends, and community than I ever did before. I'm taking great care of my health through diet, exercise, meditation, affirmations, yoga, stretching, supplements. And so far, the cancer does not seem like it's spread in the last three and a half years. And then finally, I, I'm really doing work that I love that I find meaningful. So I started doing, I thought maybe I had some sort of perspective that I could share with people that they might find useful. And so I started giving talks and that sort of evolved into a happiness workshop that I give called Find Your Pleasure, Purpose and Peace. So I still do the leadership consulting on how to build high performance teams, but I always have this sort of perspective of teams that are not only high performance, but people are also happy. And what I do, what I'm doing is hopefully that I can touch people's lives in a positive way about how to be successful, but also how to be happy in in the process. So the question that I like to ask people is sort of this, how would you live if you had cancer? And every time I do my workshops, every time I speak to even a small group of people, there's either someone in the room who's a cancer survivor or has been touched very directly by cancer in their lives or by some other sort of disease or some other sort of tragedy. What I found in doing my workshops is that you don't have to look very far to find real suffering in this world. In fact, you don't have to look very far to find real suffering, even in small groups of people, even the people you're having lunch with at the table. But the question I ask people is, how would you live if you had cancer? How would you live if you had a terminal disease? How would you live if you really felt your mortality the way that I did for the first time, at least, on February 5th, 2013? And That's the question that I ask people in my workshops, and that's sort of the approach that I have in dealing with people, thinking about their careers, about purpose and legacy, and uh, that's one of the things that I deal with. So, Sonali, that's a little bit about my cancer story and how that fits in with with my career. So, hopefully that's a a helpful little overview of of my my story. It is. I... um probably at a little bit at a loss for words right now. I think when someone tells you something like this, you're always uh, never too sure exactly what to say, right? But um, how, how do you feel, Jim, now? How, how long has it been since your diagnosis? Uh, three and a half years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, uh, I guess it'll be four years coming up in February in a few months. I see. And it's, uh, it's, really, it's really been a life-changing event. And I know that I've talked to many people. Many people have approached me after my workshops and said, 
there are cancer survivors or or someone in their family had the disease and the people the people I talk to usually say they never would wish it on anybody but they they live life more fully they're much more grateful they appreciate every day they're more patient and I don't pretend for a second that I'm a perfect person or that I'm perfectly easy to get along with or whatever but I do know that I have a greater a much greater sense of gratitude mm. in my life and and so when I work I I'm very intentional about is this work meaningful for me is it purposeful is this the kind of legacy I want to leave you know if I'm not doing work that's worthwhile or is leaving a legacy that I want then why am I doing it at all I, I, and, and that's 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 sort of the the yeah the awareness that I bring and that I try to share with other people as we talk about career and work and purpose. Yeah. No, I, I, I would love to you know, spend some time on the word legacy that you just used. But before we get there, just a couple of things that I would love to get your thoughts on, on what you just mentioned about your, the story. So you mentioned that, you know, when the, the first time you heard about the diagnosis, you, you know, it was clearly big news for you. And yeah. then you started writing in your diary. What did you write? Well, I wrote uh, immediately uh, immediately a, a lot of questions, not answers. It was questions that came up. Literally, you know, how much time do I have? You know, how, how many more years or months or decades do I have? H- how exactly am I going to die? Who exactly is going to be there? How exactly am I going to feel? Hmm. Uh, what would I wish I had done differently in my career? And really, more importantly, what do I wish I would have done differently with my relationships? Or who who do I need to ask forgiveness from? Or who do I need to forgive? How do I need to be at peace with myself? And over time, and many other questions, you know, who, who would inherit my money? You know, where, what city would I be in? And who would be there to be taking care of me at the end? And, and what I realized is that a lot of these are questions that are relevant, whether we literally have one week to live or 50 years to live. Yeah. And there's probably people listening to this podcast right now who very well might live another 50 years. Uh, and I might live another 50 years. But asking the, the, ex- the existential question of what am I doing with my life and why am I doing it? And is this meaningful? Is this rewarding? Is this purposeful? Is this fun? Both professionally and in my personal relationships and how I live uh, in a holistic, authentic, real, genuine way and having my life be a reflection of my true values, that's, th- those are fundamental questions. Yeah. And, and, I was, and, and most of us, myself included, traditionally don't like to face these questions. That's true. And, and you, you mentioned that, I mean, you were, you were a very, very successful person here in Silicon Valley. You were employee number 258 at Yahoo. I mean, that, that's a big deal. So I guess this must have been a really big change for you, right? Like, did the change just happen overnight as soon as you learned about the diagnosis? Well, I was, I was at a stage where I had left the startup that I was at before. 
and was just starting to do leadership consulting. And people had always said, you know, Jim, you're, you're a great mentor, you're a great coach, you're great at building teams, you're great at empowering and developing new managers, people early in their career, and why don't you play to your strengths in doing that? And so I was excited about because I'd, I'd been doing things in my career that maybe weren't the best fit. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's, in, you know, in product management, there's this term called feature creep, mm-hmm. right? Where you start with this sort of idea of what the product's supposed to be. Then you add more features and more features and more features. And either you never launch your product yeah. <laughs> or you, you do it, it just becomes this monster because there's been so many things that have been added on and it's right. not even what the original vision was. Right. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there's a thing called career creep. <laughs> uh, I've never heard anyone use the term except me. Uh, <laughs> but, but I like career, it, yeah. Huh? Sorry? I like it. I, I think it's it's a very good analogy, feature creep and career creep. Yeah, and I, and I, think, um, and I think what happens is it's easy to get into a role, and maybe it's not a perfect fit for you. But you start doing it, and if you're smart and you're ambitious and you're hardworking, you you learn what you need to learn, and you get you get better at it, and that's cool. And that's how we learn and grow, and we kind of round out our skill set or add different tools to the toolbox, if you want to use that that metaphor. But the thing is, is if you do that, and then you get a different task which is a little bit different, and then another one which is a little bit different, and another one that's a little bit different. You might have had a lot of diverse experiences, but it's, it's also possible that you wake up one day three or five or ten years down the road and you're doing work that really does not fit you anymore. It really is not playing to your strengths. You're, you're pretty good at it, but you're never going to be great at it because it's just not intrinsically, naturally mm-hmm. uh, what you're best at, what okay. excites you the most. Yeah. And, and so in, in my career, I, I mean, that's very kind of you. Yes, I was early at Yahoo, and that was a wonderful experience, and I was very lucky to be there. Um, but I think I got to the point later on in my career where I was doing things which really weren't so right for me. Mm. And so when I started doing leadership consulting, I thought, this is, this is great. This is going to be much more what I'm about, playing to my strengths. And just when, that, just when I started doing that is when I got the diagnosis. Mm. And so I thought, okay. I'm still going to do leadership consulting because I I really love teaching people and training people on how to build high-performance teams. But honestly, I'd always wanted to be a motivational speaker, and I'd never had the courage to even try. I mean, not even try. And so I, once I got the diagnosis, I thought, well, geez, you know, let, let me follow the lean startup approach, which is get in front of anybody, share my story, see if it's worthwhile or if people respond or if it strikes a chord with people. And uh, the first time I gave my talk was uh, for the Entrepreneurship Club at Stanford Business School, and people seemed to really like it. And although it was, it was very, very rough, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, pe- but people really liked it. And from that I thought, okay, well, let me see if I can get in front of a different group and do that again. And yeah. I did, I've done that over and over again. And so it's sort of an example of, it is an example of sort of the lean startup approach to just trying something, especially if it's something that's your dream, especially if it's something you've always wanted to do and you've never had the courage to, to try. Yeah. And if, if you can do something and you can set the bar really low on, on just trying it out and, and you don't have to get paid anything for it, <laughs> uh-huh. right? There's uh, enormous opportunities to, 
test the waters and see whether something is really uh, fun and exciting that that you enjoy doing. Uh, absolutely, and and I guess I guess basically what you're saying is that in a lot of ways, I mean, of course, you know, no one wants to actually get cancer, but it sort of gave you the gift of courage, right? Like you no longer were afraid of trying these things that you always wanted to try. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I'm here at home and I'm in my home office and there's only, there's only three post-it notes on my, on my uh, monitor. But one of them is try and fail, but don't fail to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I think when, when I got the diagnosis, I thought, holy cow. I mean, am I going to go to my grave never even trying to do something that was my dream? I mean, not even try, not even ask. And I thought, this is crazy. Let me just try it out. And and I think for many of us, uh, you know, some people's dream is to start their own company. Other people's dreams are to, to travel around the world or live a certain lifestyle or, or, you know, it can be very different. Some people just want to take a cooking class. And... <laughs> And there's, there's so many things that we, we need to just kind of like give ourselves a little push and yeah. just say, let me just, let me just try it out. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to my grave regretting all these things. Yeah. And so w- one thing which I would love to get your thoughts on, Jim, is that, so, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, your message is very similar to the commencement speech which Steve Jobs gave at, at Stanford, yeah. coincidentally. Which yeah. was, you know, something along the same lines that, you know, he tries to live every day as if it's his last day. Uh, but I think, w- so, you know, this is a message which people have heard. But I think what keeps a lot of people back is that uh, just sort of this fear that, yeah, you know, I understand. And it's, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate here that, you know, yeah. I, I understand. Yes, of course, you know, that's the ideal thing to do. But at the end of the day... I, I still have to live my life. I still have to pay my rent. I still have to meet whatever I have imagined our society's expectations and my family's expectations and my friends' expectations and at some level, my own expectations, whatever those are. And I think yeah. that's what people get caught up in, right? Because when you get a diagnosis, then you know it's final. You know it's happening, and there you don't you don't have anything to lose. So, what would what would be your suggestion? Like, how do you get over that fear of losing? So, uh, you touched on a lot of things that I that I do like to drill down on in my in my workshops. And one of the one of the things I say is, uh, if you want to be unhappy, just compare yourself to other people. <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, because. You can drive yourself crazy, and most people, many people in Silicon Valley I know, drive themselves crazy just comparing themselves to other people. You know, they make a million dollars, they compare themselves to someone who's got 10 million. They make 10 million, they compare themselves to someone who's got 100 million. And it's, we, uh, it's a great way to just drive yourself crazy and be always frustrated. And, uh, and the Buddhists call this the comparing mind. And, and I understand that we compare, there's best practices, we can learn from role models, I understand all of that. But generally, I think the less you compare yourself to other people, and the more you compare yourself to your true potential, that's what I, then I think the better off you'll be. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I suggest to people. I say, 
compare yourself to how you were a year ago or five years ago or a month ago. Are you learning? Are you growing? Are you getting better? That's a useful comparison. And then, you know, just continuing on your journey of doing what's right, doing what's fun and enjoyable, but also doing what's purposeful. Hmm. And, and so I'm not saying everyone needs to quit their jobs and just hang out on a beach for the rest of, the, <laughs> you know, because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not practical. Yeah. And, and in fact, the framework that I share in my happiness workshops is that there's a balance of pleasure and purpose in our lives. And we need to have a proper mix of those things. So people who are just total workaholics, completely obsessed with getting that next promotion or making more money or getting more status, it's okay to work hard and it's okay to do great stuff. But if you don't enjoy the journey, if you don't enjoy the whole process day in, day out, then you kind of lose sight of it. And on the other hand, uh, and so those kind of people need more, more, more fun, more enjoyment, more sleep, <laughs> more vacations, <laughs> yeah. more spas, time yeah. to take care of their health and eat better. That's for those people. And then there's other people where they're not motivated enough and they need to find something which is purposeful. And that can be purposeful relationships. It can be purposeful work. It can be volunteer work. It can be just working on something at a company where you, you believe in their product or their services or their mission. Um, and I think if you, if a person is aware of those things, then they can, they can have your typical demanding Silicon Valley work, but hopefully it's work that's meaningful to them, however they want to define it. Yeah. And they're still enjoying the process and they realize that whether they're 23 or 30 or 35 or 45 or 50 or 60 years old, they're part of a journey and they can enjoy every stage in that journey. Yeah. It's a- I, I think so I, I have two questions. I mean, one is I think you're you're pointing out a very important thing, which is the importance of just starting. Right? Yeah. Like it's it's not like you have to just quit your job and that's it and go no. start a company. That's not what you're saying, but you, you you are saying that acknowledge what your dreams are and then start taking baby steps towards them. It could be just like one class maybe a week, but just start taking baby steps. Yes, absolutely. And for some people, they can accomplish that through volunteer work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, and again, if you don't need someone to be paying you to do it, there's a lot that you can do. Yeah. No, <laughs> right? that's a very good point. Yeah, like if you take the stress of money out of it, like don't worry about how good it is. Don't worry about whether someone likes it. Just do it. At least you'll see whether you enjoy doing it or not. Exactly. And I have a lot of people who come to me and say, hey, Jim, you know, I'd like to be a motivational speaker. How do you try? And I say, look, get in front of get in front of any audience you can. You know, whether it's inviting ten people over to your house and you give a talk after a dinner party, whether there's some sort of church group or athletic group or alumni group or 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 people at work, anybody, uh, get in front of them and give a talk. Yeah. And see how they like it. And of course, I always religiously collect feedback on all of my talks. So yeah, baby steps is, is great. Volunteering is a great way to get yourself exposure to, to different things. And, um, and, and then you can see how you like it or not. Yeah. And, and some people, they can, they can sort of go from doing it for free to getting paid to making it actually their full-time 
their full-time thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing which I think is really important, which you've, you sort of hinted at, is that uh, the best way to stay unhappy is to keep comparing yourself to other people. Yes. What do you think is a good way to sort of make sure that you keep getting the good message? Because what I notice in myself also a lot of times is that you know, I listen to some nice podcast or something and then I'll be like in a good state of mind, you know, hey, I just got to focus at my own thing and that's it. Nothing else matters. But then you go out into the real world and, you know, you're talking to your friends and your colleagues and then it's back to the rat race again. So <laughs> and so you have to sort of actively tell yourself, no, like, you know, no, like, you know, like you got to shut that out. So what is your recommendation there? Well, uh, let me ask you this. Help me understand. Is it <laughs> you go back to the rat race of people saying, talking about their careers or promotions or what is it that starts rattling your your serenity? <laughs> now, now I feel like I'm going to have a counseling session live. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's okay. No, it's just, I mean, it's more, you know, like... I guess, you know, no one is always 100% sure of the decisions and the choices you're making, right? So uh, any any path you decide to take means that you're not take, going down some other path. But that doesn't mean you're, you're 100% sure that that is the right thing to do, and I, which obviously comes down to what is right. So I guess my main thing in here is that, you know, you go, out, you go, you go to work, you hear something, and then you're like, you're just confused, like, am I doing the right thing? Even though... You know, if I was just completely operating on my own, that's how that's what I tell myself that, hey, Sonali, like if you were just completely operating on my, on my own, this is what you would be doing. And that that's why this is the right thing to do. But like I have to very actively tell myself that. Right. So there's a there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. Um, one is I like to say you can have it all, but not at the same time. And I think that. Uh, we live in a culture which tries to tell us to have it all and have it all at the same time. You know, there's people, they want, they want the amazing Silicon Valley startup experience of starting something, something from nothing or being a very early employee and, you know, having a billion customers and yeah. <laughs> making a billion dollars. People want that. At the same time, they want to have time to take care of their health which is very hard to do if yeah. you're working 60, 70 hours or 80 hours or even more right. per week. Right. They want to have family and friends and children and community. A lot of, you know, and, and something's got to give. And the people who, um, and that's why I can say, you know, I'm not, I mean, I've, I've had appearances in my life where I worked very hard, very long hours, especially in the early days at Yahoo. There are other times in my life where I focused much more on family and I was a stay-at-home dad for a year and that was that was great. And other times in between where I worked very hard or not or worked a lot less and focused on other things. So I think if people are just very conscious and intentional about why am I doing this? Is this the right timing? That's fine. Uh, but I think many people they try to they're, they're unrealistic in terms of everything they try to do at the same time yeah no that's a that's a that's a perfectly valid that is what the rational brain tells you right that it's not possible like there are only 24 hours in a day and fortunately unfortunately you have to sleep so i think people get it it's just like you have to 
to sort of build up that inner strength and confidence to feel okay with that choice that you know you know there maybe there are these five things i want to do in life and right now i'm focusing on one of these five things which means the other four will not happen or they'll happen but they'll happen 5 years Later. from now yeah. or 10 years from now yeah yeah well you're you're sonali you're from india right yes so one of the great countrymen of yours uh mahatma gandhi he said the purpose of life is not to just increase its speed <laughs> yeah. yeah right and yet many of us that's exactly how we live faster 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 and after a while it becomes crazy another thing i was going to say is there's and i notice this especially with younger people uh i'm i'm in my i'm i just turned age 53 so i'm i'm a, a bit older than than many people in silicon valley and, but what i find with some some younger people is this intense sort of fear of missing out mm. you know fomo right and i've seen i've seen this with people where no matter what decision they make it completely freaks them out that there's something else they could be doing right yeah. now yeah oh no absolutely you're you're so right and it's such a it's a very strong fear yeah and it's a great way to torture yourself <laughs> <laughs> again you want to make yourself unhappy just compare yourself to other people hang whether it's on facebook or other social media or on linkedin and you can just go through linkedin and 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 see all the people who have higher titles at cooler companies with greater ipos or there's more buzz or it's just a sexier company and you can drive yourself crazy and and by the way that that takes a huge amount of mental energy yeah to go into work every day and say Oh my god, I'm not at the right company. My my friend over there who I went to business school with, who I went to engineering school with, while wow, they're at the cool company, I should be over there. I mean, if you if you think that 100 times a day or even 5 times a day, it's really pulling you down in terms of being your best, of being focused, being creative, being analytical, being successful in your work. And and that which isn't to say you you don't change jobs. but you just need to be kind of aware of you know this is what i'm doing now and this is the work i have and if it's really not right for me then yes i'll look into other career opportunities but you you can't be doing that every day you can't mm-hmm. start a job and 2 weeks later you say i got to get out of here something else might be better mm, yeah you see what i mean no absolutely you're very right uh, another thing which i think would be very uh relevant for this particular discussion is the Stanford post that you wrote where you went for a recent reunion with your business right. school uh friends yeah so can you talk a little bit about that what that was like because i think it's like sort of looking ahead into the future for the audience yeah i uh th- this this has turned out to be my most popular blog post uh of the of the blog posts that i've written so far and i y- y- you never know with a blog post what's what's going to kind of take off but <laughs> I I had my 20 year Stanford Business School reunion back in late October. So I graduated in 1996, which people have pointed out that must have been the absolute best time to graduate from Stanford Business School and I say, well, we kind of felt like we were late to the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh I mean Amazon was already public, Netscape was already public, Yahoo was already public. We felt like everything had already yeah, been invented. Yeah. Yeah. In the internet, um we were wrong, of course. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, but I went to a 20 year reunion and saw a lot of my classmates who are, uh, you know, a lot of really fantastic people. And I'm very, very lucky to have gotten into Stanford and very grateful for that, that experience. And it's, it's a wonderful community. But what I, what, what I wrote and the, the blog post is called confessions from a Stanford business school, 20 year reunion. What I wrote is just that, um, people were very down to earth. And I think in contrast to like the five year reunion or the 10 year reunion, or I think even the 15 year reunion, there is not so much of an obsession with trying to see who's, who's got more status, who has the better job, who's made more money. I think there was more of that earlier. And as we're getting older and a lot of us are now in our late forties, early fifties, you know, there's much more of a focus on, um, family, friends, community, health. And I think it makes sense because we're, we're kind of in midlife. And uh, when you get into midlife, you, you start thinking about these things more, more so than, than we did before. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, there was, there was a panel there where one guy talked about, well, I, I actually knew a guy who had some, some horrible infection from doing oral surgery, from receiving oral surgery, he almost died. Another classmate of mine who was actually younger than me had a, had a stroke which paralyzed him for half of his body for a year. And then I saw another friend of mine who, uh, who, uh, who has, uh, is fighting colon cancer and he's had 39 rounds of, of chemotherapy. So, yeah. you know, when, when you get older and you start seeing that, it, just like my cancer diagnosis, although for these people it was much more serious health challenges than what I've had to deal with, um, it, it really is a wake-up call for a lot of people. And and then similarly, there is a lot of people where, like myself, they they went through difficult divorces, and uh, so I mean it's just. Uh, you know, I think as you get older, it's like, okay, you, you realize, the li- I, think, I think what happens is you realize what the limitations of career are, mm-hmm. and you realize the limitations of money uh, and status. And, you know, when you're going through business school, there's so much of a focus on all of those things. You could call it leadership. You could call it creating great organizations and leading great organizations. That's all true. But a lot of it is building businesses uh, being successful, however you want to define that. And often it is about money and status. And when you get older and you see people who made a lot of money and had a lot of status, but were either miserable or had very unsuccessful relationships or were depressed about various things, you, you realize what the, what the limits of that are. And I think at the reunion, that just became clear that very that a lot of people realize that you know the family, friends, and community is 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 really what they want to be focusing on going forward if they haven't focused on it up until this point. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. I I think for a lot of people who are, who are still relatively early in their careers, again playing the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, the the question that comes up is that hey Jim you know it's it's uh maybe it's easy for you to say because you've already been through that you sort of you've done the career portion of your life you you know you you were working extremely hard 
you worked at all of these startups you made your money whatever it is like whatever rocks your boat you, you did all of that and so that's fine you know you've done that you've shown you've proven something to yourself you've proven something to whoever else and now you're doing these other things but what what would you say to someone who's not done that like i, th- I think there's also this aspect of this des- this desire to prove that i can do it yeah and i think i think that's that's totally legitimate and uh, i think i think you gave a very good description of my life <laughs> <laughs> and my and my career uh, and I've, I've had an amazing life. And even before business school, I had a wonderful bohemian life living in Europe and being an English teacher and traveling around the world. And, and so I, I, I have practiced what I've preached in terms of you can have it all, but not at the same time. Mm. Right. I mean, being a, being a little business journalist in Madrid when I was 27 or 26 years old, uh, or being an English teacher in Germany, uh, when I was like 23, you know, it was totally different than serving on a board of directors of a Sand Hill Road funded startup or or working in places yeah. like Yahoo. So yeah. you're you're absolutely right. I, I think it's legitimate for people to want to prove something to themselves, especially if they're really passionate about something. And uh, but I think that well, there's a there's a saying I heard years ago, which is going going slowly in the right direction is better than going fast in the wrong direction. Mm. And so I'd say to anybody, if you like what you're doing, you find it fulfilling, you find it meaningful, you find it challenging and interesting and you're learning and growing, and you can still take care of your health, and you can still have fulfilling relationships, uh, whether it's uh, with your partner or spouse or children or friends, then I think that's great. You know, there's so many people that are in such a fast race to make a lot of money that they, the question I ask is, what are you sacrificing to do that? Yeah. You know, and there's people who will say, honey, I'm, I'm going to get a promotion instead of earning $200,000 a year, I'm going to get $250,000 a year. Oh, by the way, now I need to be traveling 30% of the time. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a bit, if you haven't been doing that before and then suddenly you're traveling 30% of the time, is it really worth it? That extra $50,000, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. and in all the research, and I've, I've looked at a lot of this research related to income and happiness. There's, there's multiple studies which show that, uh, happiness, more money will bring more happiness up to a certain point, but mm-hmm. it really levels off. There's, there's definitely diminishing returns after a certain point. And that certain point is like around $70,000 a year income. Right. And now you could say, okay, that's, that's unimaginable in the Bay Area, but, <laughs> yeah. but somewhere I think we know that. And there's also research, this was done quite a while ago, this was like 30 years ago, but I, the, the research stands that I think the CEOs of major companies were only slightly happier than the cleaning people and the uh, factory employees in their own companies. Right. Yeah. No, and, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, no, keep, please keep going. So, so I mean, if you think about it, and, and there's another saying that I like, which is if you think a lot of money will solve all your problems, you've never had a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, and from what I've seen and experienced, I think that's absolutely true. I really do. And again, I'm, you know, I, I live in San Francisco and I see people on the streets who are homeless all the time. And obviously, 
I think that would be an extremely difficult life. And all the all the research shows that uh, a little bit more money for those people, having a roof over their heads, makes a tremendous difference mm. in their security and their and their happiness. But if if you're asking someone, you know, do you have the the two bedroom, two bath house in Mountain View, or do you have the five bedroom, four bath house in Los Altos Hills? You know, it's probably not like you're going to be 10 times happier. Yeah. You might be 10% happier, maybe. But the, the psychologists, they've done all sorts of research on this, and it's called hedonic adaption, which basically means you get used to nice things. Oh, it's, yeah. It's yeah. just normal yeah. as a human being. Yeah. In fact, I was reading a thread on Cora about this, that one way to make yourself miserable is to move into a nice neighborhood. Like that <laughs> that person was actually advocating for not moving to a nice neighborhood because they were like, you'll buy like a really nice BMW or Mercedes and then the guy next to you will buy a really nice Bentley and then you'll be like, oh my God, this sucks. So <laughs> it'll never end. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've been, I've been in the Bay Area for 25 years and I've been working in Silicon Valley for 20 and... I mean, I, I feel sort of sad for the people who are coming into the workforce today because I think their expectations are just crazy. And the pressure that they place on themselves is, is horrible. Yeah. You know, Mark Zuckerberg taught the world that you can become a billionaire by age, what, 22, something like that? And, and now everyone thinks they have to become a billionaire or at least a hundred millionaire by a certain age, independent of how happy that's going to make them. Right. They, they can yeah. completely lose sight of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that quote which you shared, that is that is really important, which is that you want your life to be moving in the right direction, even if it's slowly. And that's much better than moving fast in the wrong direction. That, that's probably sort of the message here, right? That And maybe the right direction for you is to, is to sort of be a workaholic. I mean, it's not like that's bad in and of itself. But you need to un- you need to know that what the right direction for you is, what will make you happy, and then yes. sort of keep moving towards it. Right. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who would pursue certain careers, but they don't do it because they feel like it doesn't pay enough. And and I, I understand that. And I like I left teaching English and I could have done journalism, but that wasn't paying enough. And I found that a lot of the skills that I learned in teaching and in journalism could apply to sales, which which ended up working very well for me as I as I sort of embarked on my business career. Yeah. But but there's definitely people where if you said, look, I want you to work like crazy for ten or fifteen years in work you don't even like, and your life's going to be horrible, but maybe you'll make a lot of money doing that. And the alternative is, you know what? I'm going to have you do something you love doing every day. You're not going to make a lot of money, but it's going to be fun, interesting. If you if you got hit by a bus, you'd feel really great about the legacy <laughs> that you had and the, how you spent your life while you were alive. And and guess what? You know, you you could do this for twenty or thirty or forty or fifty or sixty more years, and you you would you'd never want to retire because you love it so much. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if you look at it that way, then it's not like you're working as fast as you can, as hard as you can, just so you can stop working. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the word legacy again. Did you did you become clearer about what you'd like your legacy to be? 
Well, part of it is, um, I <laughs> let me think about that for a second. <laughs> you know, I, I think one of it, one of the things is to, as much as possible, to make peace with with members of my family. Mm. And I don't claim that that's, uh, I, I won't go into too much detail, but my life is absolutely not perfect in that respect. But I know that I've tried as much as I can up until this point. Right. And that, that is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then regarding, regarding work, I just decided to try things that I always wanted to try. And the motivational speaking and the blogging and the, the, the public speaking and the workshops is all stuff that's really people seem to like that and the workshops have really taken off and and I never would have had the courage to do that if I hadn't had my cancer diagnosis yeah no I I, I think it's great and I remember the first time we we started we chatted about the podcast you told me how you know you're still I mean it's not been too long that you've been doing motivational speaking but it's great that you know you've taken this step and it looks like I was looking at the website it looks like it's doing pretty well. I saw a lot of really nice testimonials from people who have really appreciated your work. So I'm sure that feels amazing. It, it is. And, you know, so, so, so just like anybody in work, there's days which are frustrating or I feel like things aren't going fast enough. And then I'll, I'll get an email from somebody who says, hey, the workshop was great. It's, I've improved my relationships. I feel much more at peace. I don't feel so stressed. I'm not always comparing myself to other people. And that's, that's really rewarding. You know, and I, I worked, I worked in, uh, digital advertising, online advertising and e-commerce for a long time. And I'm, I'm proud of the work that I did. And I, I certainly think it was, it was meaningful work at the time, but it, it never felt quite as exciting as someone saying, wow, thanks, Jim. You really taught me something that's helped me improve my life and improve my relationships and make me feel happier about my work as well. No, I, I can attest to that. I mean, this podcast is a little bit like that for me. I, I don't know if it's sort of my life's work or something, but I really enjoy it. And I can so relate to that feeling of like, I, I got an email from a listener today and it was it was just a thank you note saying thank you so much for putting this together. And then she listed some points and I was just so happy. Like, yeah. Are there... Well, if I, well, if I can say, Sonali, I mean, it definitely looks like what you're, from what I can tell, what you're doing is is very much uh, a reflection of what we're talking about of having your 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 main work and then doing something which is a, a passion or a hobby or something on the side or uh, uh, you're incubating yeah. a new idea and I think it's it's simply wonderful yeah no, no thank you and it, it does take a lot of effort but um, I'm really enjoying it right now so yeah are, are there any books or resources you would like to recommend to listeners? And this is, again, going back to my question around, like, you know, you want to surround yourself with with these ideas, right? So that you, you sort of keep on feeding on the right things, like you are what you take in. So are there anything yeah. that you you want to recommend? Well, well, at, at the risk of being self-serving, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've written on a lot of these things in my blog, uh-huh. Um, so, uh, if a person goes to jimmccarthy.com and, uh, a lot of the things that I've discussed, I go into more detail in various blog posts, which are never very long. And, uh, and that, that could be helpful. There's, um, there's, uh, there's great stuff from, uh, from Jack Cornfield, who's an American Buddhist teacher. 
there's a there's a gentleman named Fred Luskin mm. uh, that's spelled L-U-S-K-I-N who heads up the Stanford Forgiveness Project. He's written some tremendous books on forgiveness, and um, and then there's a book uh, called The How of Happiness by uh, Sonia Lubomirsky, who uh, is a professor, at, uh, psychologist at UC Riverside. Uh, sorry, I think UC, yeah, UC Riverside, and 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 also there's uh, um, the Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. Hmm. So there's there's a lot of good, a lot of good writing out there, and I, I think what I would, I, I I think the high level comment is that people should always be learning and growing in their careers, and just as much as people are learning more about new software languages or programs or best practices and whatever it is they do. I think, I think you need to always be learning and focusing on your happiness, your spiritual growth, however you want to define that, your health, uh, purpose and meaning, and really what, you know, asking yourself, why am I doing this in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know we were about to end, Jim, but coming back to the word courage that you use, right? I, I think the the gist of what your message is, is that you have, or rather, I don't think anyone disagrees with your message. It's just sort of somehow finding that courage to start acting upon that message, right? Right, exactly. And I think uh, kind of coming back to my initial comments, you know, for me, I got a whole lot of courage when I realized that I was not going to live forever. Once I got my cancer diagnosis, once I really felt my mortality for the first time, like I never had before, that's when I suddenly (laughs) had all sorts of courage to try stuff that I never, never thought I could try or would try or had the courage to try. And I realized that the risks were far smaller than I ever thought. And, and suddenly I had the courage to try things out and it was fun. It was invigorating. It was rewarding. And that's, when I ask people, how would you live if you had cancer? I think the answer for most people would be, well, I'd be a lot more courageous. I'd try things out. I'd do what I always wanted to do. And that's a great way to live. <laughs> After, I sometimes imagine, so uh, this is just sort of my like silly my musings every now and then. But I compare, like, you know, if, if you think about our lives, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, if you compare yourself with the age of the universe, I mean, that's like nothing, right? In which case, like we we keep worrying about, you know, hey, I still have some time to go. I, that's what you're trying to uh, sort of make as risk-free as possible, right? But you could argue that that's, it's not really that long of a time frame. No, I mean, even if you, I mean, I, I'm 53 years old. I have distinct memories of when Richard Nixon was president, which was <laughs> 40 years ago. Yeah. Right, uh, more than forty years ago, and and that that time went by pretty fast. And uh, if I live another forty years, I consider myself very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim. This was. I feel like the, you need these kind of doses, you know, every now and then to make sure that you're on the right path. So thank you so much, and uh, yeah. Oh, this was this was fun, Sonali. I I really appreciate your time and and your your insightful questions, and um, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to to talk with you. I know the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. All right, you take care. You too. Bye bye. Okay, so that was Jim with a very important 
message, I think. Um, today's discussion definitely made me take a step back and think about certain choices in life. And uh, I do hope that today's discussion was helpful for you also. And of course, as always, if you have any questions at all, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator or like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn educate discover. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, which I really think you should, you should go to our website at learneducatediscover.com where you'll find links to all the previous episodes as well as links to the library on iTunes and SoundCloud or Stitcher and also a number of other helpful resources. So do check out the website at learneducatediscover.com. All right, that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.